Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Amen. As we continue to worship this morning, let me invite you, let's take the Word of God, let's open the Word of God and turn in the Word of God to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be in Hebrews 12 today. And as we come to Hebrews 12, one consistent theme in the book of Hebrews has been this encouragement for us to persevere in the faith, right? to continue, that even when it's hard, even when we're struggling, even when we don't know what's next and when we haven't seen it yet, each chapter in Hebrews, kind of one after the other, has been giving us even more reasons to have faith, more reasons to persevere, and more reasons why going backwards is actually going nowhere. And so we're called to move forward in faith, and as Hebrews 11 has given us all these witnesses, right, all these cloud of witnesses, all these people who walked by faith, now Hebrews 12 is going to call us to run the race, to keep going, to never give up on what God is doing in our life. And so in this marathon of faith that we're called to run, we can expect God to do two things. We can expect God to not only do great things for us, but we can also expect God to do great things to us. And we have to be open and willing to whatever it looks like for God's greatness to be accomplished in our lives as we run by faith. So if you will, with me for the reading of God's word today, let's stand. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read together the first six verses, and then we're going to walk back through the word today together. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And you're thinking, who were they? That's remember chapter 11, when he would walk through Noah and Abraham and David, and he would walk through all the other people, Rahab even mentioned, all these witnesses that ran their race, and they finished their race, and they did it all by faith. Now they're not looking down on us. Now we can look to them. They're an example of faith for us. All right, so we have this foundation. We have people who've gone before us. We have a great cloud of witnesses that have gone ahead of us, let us also, like them, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. A great reminder that that sin has a desire to to cling to you. Sin has a desire to to attach to your life and to infect you and to overtake you. And if we're going to run, we got to get rid of that sin. And so we got to get rid of the sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance. Because it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a lifetime of following Jesus. Let's run with endurance, perseverance, the race that has been set before us, not just looking to the cloud of witnesses, but most importantly, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, we love this verse because right here you have to remember, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, also looking ahead. And what was he looking ahead to? What did he not have before he went to the cross? He had all the glory in the world, right? That was already his. He already had the worship of creation and the angels, already his. He was already king and Lord. He had given up glory to come down and become man like us. So he had already had those things. The one thing he didn't have was you. He had purchased you. He had to pay for your sin. He had to die for you. And so you became this prize. You became this inheritance. He desired to save you. 
And so we see he ran the race, that he endured the cross to see you saved by his blood, and now he's sat down because it's all been completed. Consider him then who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You haven't died, so God's not done. And you have forgotten, and have you forgotten, the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved or corrected by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises, corrects, again, every son whom he receives. This is the word of God. Let's pray and ask God to use as we submit and surrender our lives to him. God, we thank you that we can come before you and that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I pray right now as we continue our worship. God, would you use your Holy Spirit, Lord, to teach us all these things. Lord, help us, Lord, we are falling short to get up and to keep running. God, help us where we have failed, Lord, to repent and confess and walk back into righteousness and the light. And God, teach us how to be more faithful, persevering followers of you, Jesus. God, use your word, do a work in us that is new today. In Jesus' name that we pray. And God, church says today, amen. As you find your seat, again, keep your Bibles open. Let me also invite you to use the backside of the worship God as we plug some things in as we go together. You can also use uh, your Hebrew scripture journal. If you still have that, we'd love for you to follow along in the word. But we're going to see in here this call that we have in chapter 12. It's a, it's a very meaty passage. So we're, we're going to see two different major themes here in Hebrews 12. And we're going to cover the first 11 verses here today. And we're going to see what it looks like really to run the race. You and I have started a race, the gun has shot, the whistle has blown, and you and I are now running. All right? You and I are called to follow Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, you're in the race. All right? And we're out on the sidelines. All right? We are not done with our job. We haven't finished running. We are running, and we're called to run in a way that is faithful, running in a way that we hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. We're called to run the race with perseverance. And so two things that need to take place. Number one, in this race... We need to be, first of all, prepared to go the distance. Or you and I need to be prepared to go the distance. Verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, like them, again, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, we get into a theme that I'm very comfortable and familiar with because I love sports, right? I'm a sports addict. I love playing them. I love watching them. I love competing in them, and I love to win. I love all things sports. But you know what? I don't love running, right? I just don't enjoy it. I, I will run if I'm on a field. I'll run if I'm on a court, but you're not going to catch me running around the neighborhood, all right? That's just not what I'm going to do, and I'm definitely not going to run on a treadmill, because in my sports life, running was punishment, right? Whenever you made a mistake or you messed up, that's when coach said, take a lap, run a foul pole, right? That's what I had to do. And so basketball, coach would blow the whistle and say, John, no, I said, left-handed layups, John, take a lap, right? And so I wouldn't run. I didn't love the idea of running. So running was a punishment. But what I've noticed about professional runners is that when they run, when you watch especially the Olympics, they wear as little as possible, right? They're wearing as little as possible. They have 
the least amount of clothing as possible for the least amount of resistance. You've got short shorts, you've got spandex jerseys, you've got these lightweight shoes. Oftentimes they'll shave hair off their head or off their body. Why? They're removing everything that might keep them from running as fast as possible. They're removing anything that might cause a tenth of a second of resistance. They want to remove every competitive edge that they can so that they can persevere, so they can win the race. And so we see this true in, in the Christian life, true in sports. If you want to win, you have to drop the weight. Or if you want to win, says in the word of God, you've got to drop the weight. And that's exactly what the Hebrews writer is telling the church, that the Christian life, yes, it is a race. Yes, the Holy Spirit is calling us to run after him. And so throw off anything and throw off everything that might slow you down, that might prevent you from running, and might prevent you from enduring towards Christ. you got to drop the weight. Now here's what we do with that. All right, I hear that call, drop the weight. But what weight can I keep and still run the race? Right? What else can I keep around in my life and still run the race? And that's always the wrong question because the power of the Christian life is not determining in what you are allowed to do and not allowed to do. That's not the power in the Christian life. It is what is a sin, what is not a sin, or how far is too far, how much is too much. Those are always the wrong questions. The right question, if you want to live a life of making a difference for the kingdom of God, is this. Does this weight help me run my race? Does this thing in my life help me endure? Does it benefit my walk with Jesus? Does this help me run with, with perseverance? Can I even thank God for it because it helps honor him? Or does it stir my affection for sin? Does it help me run a little slower? See, our attitude should not be determining how much weight we can get away with but how much optional weight that we can lay aside, right? We should be determining how holy is too holy, right? How much like Christ is too much like Christ? And the answer is always never enough because here's what we know is true. You may be carrying optional weight. Think about verse one. You may be carrying optional weight that's not inherently bad, but it's not God's best. And if it's not God's best, right? Because all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial, according to Corinthians. If it's not God's best, here's what the writer of Hebrews says, throw it off. Lay it aside. You don't need that in your life. It's not worth carrying. And so a little challenge for us in this room today, is there any sin or, or weight in your life that optionally you've added that's preventing you from moving forward? That's preventing you from persevering? That's kind of hindering your spiritual growth? That, that's kind of hindering your holiness and your pursuit? The writer of the word of God here says, throw it off. Drop the weight. Drop the weight. Because here's what we see. Our, our focus our focus is not what is around us. Our focus is on who is ahead of us, right? Not around us, but who is ahead of us. Verse 2, we are looking to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, right? That wasn't worth considering because he was enduring something for the Father and for us to be saved. And now he is seated at the right hand of of the throne of God. Understand this Christian life that you've been set forth and you're running the race of, it's not about how fast you run. It's about where you fix your focus. Now, it's not about how fast you run because, hey, I'm not running your race. You're not running mine. We're running our own race with Christ. And so I'm, I'm not called to, to be faster than you. I'm called to be focused and fixed and, and encourage you. And so our, our faith is not fixed on the distance. Our, our faith is not fixed on the obstacles of the race. Our faith is not even fixed on the race itself, our, our faith is called to be fixed on Jesus. 
all right, who went the distance for us, who already crossed the finish line, who already paid the way for us to go for free, and we're called to run after him, trusting that he has already removed the obstacles, he's already defeated the sin that so easily entangles and clings, and we're called to run the face that he began in us, the author, perfecter of our faith. And so Jesus, as we look to him, he shows us, here's how to run. Here's how to be perfectly found faithful, is you walk in obedience. You're walking in righteousness. You're walking in the deliverance of the word of God. And so when we run, we're called to do this, run in his lane. We're called to run in his steps, and we're called to carry his baton. Now let's make that illustration really clear. You are running in his lane. You're not, well, this lane looks a little easier. Or, you know what, I actually kind of prefer this lane. I want to be on the inside of the track. No, you run in his lane, whatever lane that is. You are following his footsteps. You're carrying his baton. The great commandment, the great commission, you're called to do it his word, his will, his ways. And here's what I love about this race as we look to Christ. He's not asked us to run something he hasn't already completed. He's already gone through the perseverance. He has already gone through the suffering. He has already gone through the trials and the tribulation. He has already gone ahead of you and he's already endured it all. As Hebrews has already covered, we have this great high priest that can perfectly identify with us because he's already been there. Before you got there, he's already completed that task. And so look to him. He's your endurance. He is your encouragement. And it says here that he endured and is seated. He saw the end. He saw the right hand of the father. He knew the destination. And when you think about your own life, you think about your own race, as challenging as your race may be, and I get that in this room, all kinds of life experience comes into play here. You have challenges, you have sufferings, you have threats, and you have discouragement, and you have pain that all of us have not maybe experienced. And all I know is this, that he already has. And so as you run the race, and you're running through all those different things, the same reward that Christ received is the same reward waiting for you eternal life glory with the father in the presence of god for all eternity look at the hope that we're looking we're looking ahead looking towards the finish line looking towards christ who's already come and done it for us and so endure it says let the weight go and run with everything you have towards jesus right there's a story of a father who bought his little girl a, a thousand piece puzzle for christmas And so naturally, the little girl grew intimidated by the size of the puzzle and got frustrated with the difficulty of the puzzle. And so the little girl said, Dad, I'm giving up. I can't do this puzzle. It has too many pieces. And it was at that moment when the girl got frustrated by the puzzle and frustrated by the size and frustrated by the complications that the father showed her something important. She said, Honey, no, 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 don't look at the puzzle. Look at the picture on the front of the box. Because if you look at the picture on the front of the box, it's going to help dictate how you can use the pieces to bring it all together. And so keep your work and hands on the puzzle, but keep your eyes on the picture. And as the little girl kept her focus on the picture, the pieces slowly begin to come together. And what we see here is that her destination, it defeated her discouragement. Her destination defeated her discouragement. And right now, here's what I know to be true. Your life may be an absolute puzzle. And you got pieces all over the place, and you're like, how in the world is this ever going to come together? 
how in the world can God use this and God use that? And how can I find different pieces? How can I somehow piece my life together? Because it's all disconnected. It's all disjointed. It's intimidating and it's frustrating. And let me challenge and encourage you, as verse 2 says here, keep your eye on the prize and not on the puzzle. Keep your eye on the prize and not on the puzzle. Because consider Christ, it says, so you don't grow weary. Consider Christ so you don't give up. And with your eyes on him, slowly, painfully perhaps, but it will all come together. And we know, and we know, Romans 8, 28, doesn't say we think, doesn't say we feel. And we know that God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Colossians 1, he holds all things together. Keep your eyes on Christ. So we're called to be prepared to go the distance. Here's number two. As we run, we're prepared, number two, to go through discipline. We're prepared to go through discipline. This is the hard part. This is the painful part. It says this in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines only the ones that he loves. All right? I'm not out here disciplining your children. Right? Your, your children are yours. I love them here. I'm not taking care of them there, right? That's your job. I'm not going to discipline your own. I've got my four to take care of. And so the Lord disciplines his children, the one he loves, and he chastises, or he, again, he corrects every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. Why? God is treating you as sons, sons and daughters, treating us as children. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so understand that God disciplines his children. And when you hear discipline, sometimes we confuse that word with punishment. Right? But there's a, a major distinction in the word of God that we need to receive here and need to understand today, that God disciplines his children, but God does not punish his children. Now, now, what's the difference? Why, why are you drawing a line and saying, because discipline feels a lot like punishment, right? I don't know about you, but my dad's belt on my rear end felt like punishment. Didn't feel like discipline. Now, as a dad, that was absolutely discipline, right? Because he should have killed me. But he didn't, because he loved me. He disciplined me. So what's the difference? Because in punishment, God is the judge. But in discipline, God's the father. In punishment, the objects are objects of wrath. They are his enemies, but in discipline, the objects are his children. And so the, the question is, if you are a believer, if you are a child of God, know this. Every ounce of punishment for sin was already put on Jesus. He died for, for the full payment of sin, right? Jesus paid it all. And so understand that, that Jesus paid back 100% of your sin. He paid for you in your place. He was the only sufficient sacrifice, right? Without his blood... There is no forgiveness of sins, right? So it has to be done all by Christ or it's not valid at all. And so for God to give you one drop of that punishment, one drop of his wrath as, your, as his child, that would be unjust because God would be demanding two punishments for the same sin that Jesus already paid for. It's already paid. The debt has been paid. So if you are a believer, understand this difference. God is never paying you back for your sin by punishing you and just letting bad things happen in your life. That's sometimes how we view God. God's just punishing me. And God's letting this bad thing happen, and this bad thing happen. We think he's just this cosmic killjoy who sits up there and determines when it's your turn to receive something bad. That's not how God operates. 
That's not the love of a father. That's not how God disciplines his children. But God does use and God does rearrange things in your life, even the bad things, for your good to bring you back to him. So here's punishment. God works in your life to pay you back. And that's not how God operates. But here's discipline. God operates in your life to bring you back. God's not trying to pay you back. God's trying to bring you back. When you wander, he's going to chastise you and bring you home. And he'll discipline you. And it might be painful. It might hurt. As an earthly father might discipline his children, it's going to be uncomfortable at times. But he's going to use those things not to punish you and pay you back, but to bring you back. Right? To bring you back home. And so here's what we need to see. Three things of application. Right? Three things in application about the discipline of God. Is that God's discipline is always about our discipleship. God's discipline is always about our discipleship. You see, the more God cares, the more he corrects, chastises, right? He, he will be approved by us. And while it may not feel good, we know it is for our good, right? It is for our good. One of the hardest truths to grasp is that God is more concerned about your good than you are. God wants the best in your life more than you ever could. So that means that everything that God does in our lives, it is out of his unconditional love for you. God loves you. In fact, God's discipline, it says, is proof that he loves us. And it's proof, it says, that we are his children. If he didn't discipline us, we wouldn't be his children. We'd be illegitimate. Therefore, we know this, God has always a purpose in your pain. Always. He's a loving father who uses discipline and uses moments to bring you back to him. Because there's two people that can stab you. Right? Two people that could stab you with a knife. One could be a criminal trying to hurt you. One could be a surgeon trying to heal you. Right? There's two different people, and depending on the circumstance, the situation, one's going to use a knife to hurt you. One will use a knife to heal you. And we know that God is the great physician, and we know that both hurt and both are painful, but only one is doing that punishment, that pain, for your good. Right? And so here's what we know, is that when God cuts, and when God chisels he cuts like a surgeon who wants to save your life. He's doing it for your good. And again, it's never easy, but God's love for us, it is tender, but it is also tough. Right? We see this love of a father who wants the best for us, and he's going to use things to bring us back to him. It's always about our discipleship. Why? Because your character must match his calling. Your character must match his calling. Where do you see that? Verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject, be in submission to the Father of spirits, and then live? Why? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But watch this. God disciplines us for our good, that we may share what? In his holiness. All right, in his holiness. See the call here. All right, you're, you're called to live up to his calling. So God will use discipline in your life not to call you out. God will use discipline in your life to call you up, right? to call you up towards him. Because if the discipline of God is not about our punishment, then it must be about our production. Right? It must be about our production. God is producing good in you. And the only way that God can produce good in you is through discipline. And so God's discipline is for our correction, and it's also for our character. So you think about that, well, practically, all right, what does God's discipline look like? Well, it looks like a lot like conviction. Also looks like God using things in your life to make you realize how much you need him. God using, allowing things to come into your life that he can redeem and he can rearrange, but he's going to use those things to draw you 
closer to him so that what? You can become more holy. You can become more like him. He wants to share his holiness with you, but you've got to live up to the calling. You've got to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, right? So he uses these elements, uses these things to make us more like him. That's the discipline of God. He's always got a purpose to make you more like him. And so contrast this with Genesis 3. All right, uh, Genesis 3 is the, the, one of the pivotal moments in all of Scripture. The serpent comes to Eve, and what does he say? If you want to be like God, you have to disobey him. Right? If you want to be like God, the serpent says, you have to disobey him. But the father says, if you want to be like me, then I have to discipline you. Right? If you want to be holy as I'm holy, I want to discipline you. And so Satan will tempt you to think that you can make yourself like God. Isn't that what he does in the garden? You want to be like God? He's holding out on you. Here's what you got to eat. Take the fruit. You'll become like God. And so Satan will tempt you in all kinds of ways for you to somehow make yourself more like God by playing church, by by taking steps of of thinking that works will do it, and I'll somehow behave myself into God's favor. You'll, You'll do whatever it takes, and Satan tempts you that. But when God is the one who is making you like himself, it will be his work alone. It's through his Holy Spirit. It's through his work in your life. It is through what he has done. So God makes you like himself, not the other way around. You don't make yourself like God. God will use all kinds of things in your life, all kinds of moments in your life to what? To become holy as he is holy, to share in his holiness, as verse 10 says. And so we see that it's going to be through his care and his correction that he will discipline you. And here's the third thing that we see. Not only is God's discipline about discipleship, your character must match his calling. But number three is this. Pruning is not punishment. Pruning is not punishment. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful, doesn't it? In the moment, it feels no good. And it's hard to understand how it could ever be good. So in the moment, from, from a short point of view, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, a week, Months, years, I'm not sure how it's going to work, but I know later the promise is this. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Look at that promise. Somehow, as you submit and surrender to God, you'll catch a perspective. And can you do that now? Kind of remove yourself from the situation you're in. Can you think back about other situations that you've walked through and be like, that was for my good. Man, that was hard, and that hurt, and it it didn't feel pleasant, as the Word of God says, but now, 10 years removed, 5 years removed, a couple weeks removed, man, that was was God's best in my life. God did that for my good. God allowed me to experience that so He could redeem that in my life. And so what we read here, it says in verse 11 again, it doesn't feel pleasant, it seems painful, but later it is peaceful, and it is productive, and it gives us fruit, our produces fruit, the fruit of righteousness in our life. So what we see is that God begins to prune us so that we can grow deeper. We can produce more fruit. So we can trust, as John 15 says, we can trust the true vine dresser to do whatever it takes to cause us to bear fruit. God wants to produce fruit in your life, and he's not content with you being comfortable. Right? God is more uh, obsessed with your growth than you are. God is more obsessed and God's more committed to your growth than he is to your comfort. And God will not stop and just let you allow yourself to grow useless on the vine. You're sitting there and you, you grow plump and you grow big, but then you start withering. 
And then you start becoming useless and says, no, no, that's not good. I'm going to cut that out of your life. I'm going to cut this back. Why? So you can produce more fruit. Right? Pruning, it is not punishment. It is productive. And that's encouraging because while we all may be in this room today and we all might be producing some fruit, what does God want? More fruit. More fruit. And he's not content just to let you grow comfortable. He wants to call you to this high calling. And so Psalm 139, just a challenging or psalm for us, a promise for us. Psalm 139 would say, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is where we can say, God, any weight in my life I need to let go of today? God, any sin in my life that is clinging closely I need to confess? God, search me, know me, reveal to me the places I need to come to the altar, come with my spouse, come with my kids, and begin to get my life right with you. I want to be useful. And so I want to challenge you to do that here today. I want to challenge you to think about how the Lord might use his word and his Holy Spirit to begin to reveal places in your life that are for your good. And while they might hurt, they might not feel pleasant, they are productive. So here's the take home. Here's how I'm going to wrap this up. We can endure the struggle because Jesus endured the suffering. We can endure the struggle. And I, I realize again, in this room, man, I, you could tell the story after story after story what you're struggling with right now. But we can endure the struggle because, verse 2 says, we can look to one who, for us, endured our suffering. There, there's a moment, and perhaps you've seen this if you've ever watched the Olympics before, but in Barcelona, 1992, all right, I, I was born in the late 1900s, and so... That was for many of you in this room. I see a lot of young adults and youth. This was before you were born, right? In 1992, there was this man from Britain. He was a British runner. They took a lot of pride in the running. His name was Derek Redman. Derek Redman was competing in the 400-meter sprint. It's about a 44-second race. Right? You won one run one time around the track. That, that's the lap. And, and whoever gets across the finish line is, is first, and they, they win. So Derek Redman, he's running in the Olympic trials, and, and he's got a great time. He, he's been training for this event. Obviously, he's in tremendous shape. And so it's a 44-second race. That's the winner wins with 44 seconds. And as he's beginning to take off, he's sprinting, and he's with the pack. 15 seconds into the race, Derek Redman, he pulls his hamstring. In fact, his hamstring tears right there on the track, and he falls straight to the ground. And Derek Redman there, as the pack goes on and leaves him behind, there on the ground lies all of his hopes, all of his dreams, all his years and years and years of training for the Olympics is now laying dead on the ground. But something amazing happens. This man with a lot of endurance, this man with a lot of perseverance, he stands up. Not only does he stand up, he begins to hop and hop and hop. And he starts making his way around the track, and the crowd stands, begins to cheer this man on, who somehow, under all kinds of odds, he begins to stand, he begins to run, begins to hobble. But it's painful. He's in agony. His face is grimaced. You can just see all of it coming to a head. And then all of a sudden, this other man joins him there on the track. You're like, who is this guy? Who, who has come alongside of him? And he comes to encourage him. And he begins to wrap his arms around him. And it's his father. His father has come out of the stands. His father has come to the track. And then his father carries him through tears 
through pain, through all kinds of trouble, through all the broken dreams that have now been left behind, his father carries him all the way to the end. It's a beautiful picture of discipline. It's a beautiful picture of the faithfulness of a father. And it's a beautiful picture of you here today, limping, struggling, broken dreams, (laughs) disappointments, somehow still having the endurance and the perseverance to run the race and to get up. And you're limping and the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and says, I've got power for you. I'm going to help you finish this race. I've not given you a spirit of fear, but I've given you a spirit of power and sound mind and strength. I've, I've given you everything that you need to run your race. And he doesn't expect you to finish it on your own. He expects you to finish it with him. Would you let him come with you? We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.